This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, life coach, and psychotherapist. And this is Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. On today's episode, we are here with Brian the Girl, artist, entrepreneur, and extraordinaire. And I'm very excited to have her on the show. Thank you so much for meeting with us and talking and sharing yourself here on Emotional Badass. Yeah, of course. This is the first time I've been called an entrepreneur. <laughs> How does it feel? <laughs> um, it feels a little strange. I like to have the identity that I'm just an artist working away and I don't deal with any of the business side of things, but of course, that's not the truth. <laughs> that's right. I want to tell our listeners that I've realized in sort of getting you on this show that I don't get like starstruck, but I think I get kind of heartstruck. And I have found myself very heartstruck with you finding you, I think about a year ago, and just being really, really inspired. And where I, I would like to start is in just kind of telling the listeners um, how you got into this. I found you on Instagram. So what is your sort of entry into that world backstory? So I have had Instagram for a long time, as have a lot of people, and I first just used it for personal reasons, just posting kind of selfies and pictures of the trees changing colors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really thought about using it as a platform, especially because I'm not very interested in social media just as a person. It's not it's not something that I do in my normal social life. Like I don't, I don't really go on Facebook ever. And so I never thought that I would be pursuing this as a career, but then I made this new year's resolution to start drawing every day. And part of keeping myself accountable was posting online and the drawings weren't necessarily very good, but I just wanted to do at least one every day. And then I got a little manic about it and I didn't have a job at the time. This was great. I, I was taking a break from college. And so I was completely just wandering around the world and I had nothing to do. And so I would post a few times a day and I was still figuring out my style. And then over time, just by sticking with it and by interacting with other artists, it kind of grew. 
And then this past year, it I, I really hit my stride and I feel like I found a style that, that worked well with me. And then suddenly all these people came out of nowhere and apparently everyone wants to learn my drawing technique, which is called cross hatching. So it's an ink drawing technique. And so all these teaching opportunities have opened up for me as well. So I am one of your Patreon supporters. And part of why I'm so excited to have you on the show today is because you have started a podcast and it's called Hatchling. And so very similar to what we're doing at Emotional Badass, we have our Patreon and then our podcast, and that highlights my work. You've really used these elements to highlight your work and meet more people. How did the podcast come about for you? It was funny. I was actually looking through some old photos today and I found the first logo design I'd sketched out for this podcast. And it was actually a year before I even recorded the first episode because I knew I wanted to do a podcast for so long, but it's one of those things where you're like, it has to be perfect. You know, it has to, I have to be interviewing the the best guests and I have to have all this content has to be structured. Well, I'm going to compose music for it. You know, I had all these grand (laughs) ideas and then I realized if I, if I set this bar so high for myself, I'm never going to do it. And would I rather, you know, never make this the best podcast ever, or would I rather just make a podcast? And so I realized I have to do it. And so I just, I got people to send in some questions and I just answered those. And I think the first episode was like 10 minutes or something and just put it together and, and sort of set a time limit for myself and said, okay, I have one day to make this episode and then just put it out there in the world. And I figured that I could, I could change things in the future if something wasn't working, but I've gotten a pretty good response just with, with what I've done now without any of those, any of those high production value things that I originally envisioned. It feels very high production. And I, I think a lot of people just heard you talk. Our audience is in large part highly sensitive people. Many are introverts. Do you identify that way? Are you a highly sensitive introvert? I don't know if I really know myself well enough to identify as anything, but I'm sure other people would call me uh, overly emotional, which I guess might be a synonym for highly sensitive. It is. I, I'm definitely a very emotional and sensitive person. And I do, I I mean, I don't like large gatherings or crowds or anything. I spend most of my time in quieter settings, but I also, I, I'm not sure I fully understand the term introvert, but I, I have difficulty applying it to myself because I get so lonely if I'm left alone Mm. for more than an hour. I just get really depressed. Like I need to have somebody there all the time. Ah, well, I I was asking because so many of highly sensitive people, part of what we struggle with is perfectionism and how that Mm. perfectionism kind of keeps us from launching our really awesome ideas. And I, I think it's, it's a really cool thing to note because you're bringing it up how, I can't see the perfectionistic idea of your podcast in your head. I just get the product that you've put out there and I love it. And I think so many sensitive people, we limit ourselves because we can't do it as perfectly as we envision. And so we kind of never, ever start or go for it. So I think that's a real obstacle that a lot of the listeners of my show really resonate with. So you're doing a bit of healing work by naming your own sort of perfectionistic struggle and how you pushed through. Well, I've also heard people say in that same vein, 
oh, well, somebody's done something like this before, or there are other people who do this, or this isn't an original idea. And I, f- I feel so frustrated by that because it's like, okay, well, then should we just never make anything new ever? And uh, and I, I've stopped even doing market research when I have a new idea, like has somebody posted a photo like this before, done a drawing like this? It's just not worth my time or energy. Good for you. So yeah, lots of emotional boundaries. Like you really do. You hit a lot of what I talk about on this show and how I coach and counsel people because I I think so many of us out there are really, really creative and we just limit ourselves in going for it. I think that's part of why I've been so inspired watching you go for it and really kill it. Like you've been killing it on Instagram. It doesn't feel like that, honestly. It feels like I'm a big failure. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm still sort of trying to trying to figure out what's actually real, what my life is really like and what I think it's like. And it, it just, it feels like it's not, like I, I'm not doing what I want to do. I mean, I'm doing what I enjoy doing, but like I'm not achieving what I set out to achieve, but I guess it's just, that's something that I'm going to have to grapple with. Yeah. I like moving the expectation line. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I have really high expectations for myself and um, and I, I can never meet them. And it's really frustrating. It's especially frustrating when, you know, people say, oh, you're doing so much. And it's like, well, you don't know what I set out to do. You know, if I set out to do 10 things, and I do two of them. And you're like, wow, great job for doing two. I'm like, I don't care that I did two because I failed at the other eight. Yep. That is another marker of being a highly sensitive person. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we have very, very high integrity. And so if we come up with an idea of something that we want to pull off, we really push for that. And we tend to give ourselves a hard time when we hit kind of below that perfectionism or idealized mark. I think you're part of this tribe, lady. (laughs) So I have noticed in following you that you have a book coming out. Would you like to share with us about that? Oh, man, I have so many projects on the <laughs> horizon. Do. And uh, <laughs> the thing is, anybody who follows me really closely, like my friends, they'll, they'll point out, you know, you said last week you're going you're gonna to be producing a feature-length film. What's going on with that? And I'm like, oh, no, I have to delete that post. <laughs> I, I try to keep myself accountable by announcing things online, and then it just stresses me out. But the book thing is actually happening. This is an instructional workbook that I wanted to do for a while, but the thing is I didn't know if I was going to do it through Kickstarter or try to find a real publisher, which is just incredibly complicated. And... Uh, eventually I just reached out to this little company that makes, um, that makes notebooks and they also make printed versions of the notebooks where, you know, they, they print onto the pages. And so I had this idea that, uh, that it could be an interactive workbook. So there'd be areas for people to draw what I'm showing them how to draw. And, uh, and so I've been working on that and this is the week that I finish the proof and then get it sent off to the printers and then, then hopefully next month it's going to come out and I can finally have a physical book to sell people. Because I do have an ebook now, but it's it's not the same. And especially people who are interested in the arts, they like having physical, tangible items. I think we're all kind of hungry for tangible, even though we work in this digital realm. Uh, yeah. 
I think that's the balance. I think we, we need that to feel like grounded and real because so much of this is just kind of in the, the ether. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely feel lost in that digital world because my digital life is so different from my actual life. Like I have all these supporters and all these friends and so many exciting things happening online. And then I look up from my phone or my computer and it's just, I'm just <laughs> alone. And it's, and it's so strange to be living just in my hometown, not really knowing many people, not, not seeing people on a regular basis, never going out and then I have this really exciting online life because then, of course, the temptation is to just let that absorb me and give up on the difficult work of making my my real life actually exciting. I think that is a necessary balance, not just for people that are working online, but for, for all of us, like for our mental health, to be able to have these real life tangible communities, but then also these online communities. Because I, I think for sens- a lot of sensitive people, you know, we, we're about 15 to 20% of the population. And that's, that's a lot of us. But also when we're feeling lonely, it can feel really, it can feel like we're lost in that sea of the 80% that maybe don't really get how we process don't really get how we feel through the world instead of kind of thinking through the world at times. So I think that real life balance versus online community is a is a real sort of modern issue we're wading through. Oh, definitely. And I I wish that I had a better way to meet people like me who don't go out and meet people. But that's really the catch-22 is that the people I want to meet aren't at the bars and they're not prowling the streets all the time. And they're probably just sitting in their houses feeling sort of alone and isolated the way that I do. Well, maybe some of your real-life art classes will pull some of that that out in your real world, the way some yeah, of that's my... Yeah, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, meeting people in real life through art, that's been a wonderful thing. I'm actually going on a trip next month, and I've arranged all these, all these sort of drawing meetups and just walking around with people that I met through Instagram. And that's, that feels to me like one good thing that comes out of this digital world. I think that is how they kind of collide and can kind of good can come out of it. I've done one um, live workshop with highly sensitive people, and it was such a beautiful experience last year to see all those people physically in the room together. The energy of connecting. I know that some bonds and friendships were formed there that people got to take home and keep going. And um I, that's a really, really important piece of this online personality and putting ourselves out there is really honoring that balance, not just for ourselves, but for the people that are following us so that we're modeling. So I'm so grateful that you're in the world modeling that that real life connecting tangibly, being able to lay eyeballs on each other and give hugs if we want to needs to be a part of this balance. Yeah, I'm trying to not be just another influencer. I, I really hate that word. And and it to me, it evokes this sort of, it just having this perfect facade of my life is beautiful and you'll never be able to have anything like this. And I, I noticed when I looked through my feed, like it does look really nice and pretty and clean and pleasant. And that's not what my life is really like. So I, I've been trying to do more mental health advocacy stuff and being more open about my struggles so that people don't beat themselves up for not having this perfect life that I don't even have. 
Well, I think you're doing it. High five, like clap, <laughs> pat on the back, like you're you're doing it. And just like that other perfectionism, it doesn't have to be perfect for you to be doing it. I've seen it. I've resonated with it. Some of my background is that I, I come from an abusive family and try to use my story and my professional background as a therapist to, to help people do kind of what you said, realize that we're seeing all these highlight reels, that it's not really real, it's not real life, that we're having this this internal balance of figuring out our intuitions versus our anxieties and what it means to be balanced and take care of ourselves in this really hectic kind of crazed modern world and lifestyle. Yeah, I I also have a very difficult background and I've I've been hospitalized a few times for just depression, anxiety and uh and it's it's something that I struggle with and I I've been in therapy for a lot of my life. I'm I'm actually not in therapy now. I feel like I'm doing better. Uh but not that you have to be doing badly to be in therapy, but it just it it decreases my motivation to figure out the whole the whole finding a new therapist thing when I'm when I'm doing okay. So mm-hmm. I I've been in, I've had a better control of my control of my emotions recently. Um, but the past few years of my life and transitioning from from college to adulthood, which was I think more tumultuous for me than for other people because I actually left college in the middle of it because I had a professor harass me there and it just, it became a whole title nine case. And there was a, like I had to have a lawyer get involved and there was a legal settlement process. So I could continue going to school, but then I wasn't allowed back on campus because there was a, like a restraining order um, between me and the professor. And it was, it was so complicated and I was just trying to graduate college and I ended up trying to escape it all by going abroad and so I lived in Berlin for a year and that was that was a, a difficult experience for me. It was really formative but you know just being alone in a different continent and going through all this stuff was tough and at the same time I was I was sort of trying to cope with these emotions through my eating disorder because I mean starving yourself is a great way to just dull your emotions. And and then after that whole mess then I, I came back home because I did have to eventually graduate and so I mean, everybody struggles with graduating college, but my case in particular was so complicated, that transition from from being a student, from being sort of a, a young adult into being a self-sufficient adult. And um, and once I got out of there, I was still processing so much that I was really just an emotional wreck. And part of the reason I, I, I went into art and, and needed to go freelance was that I was so emotionally unstable, I couldn't hold a job because I kept just freaking out and missing work and staying up all night crying and not being able to wake up in the morning. And I realized that I would have to have something with more flexibility in order to handle my emotions. Unfortunately, I am doing better now, but I still appreciate that flexibility. Thank you for sharing this on my show, because this is this is the important stuff that we need as a people that many of us have breakdowns and have unstable periods because we're sorting through stuff that really is supposed to make us feel that way when we're dealing with yeah. insanity and abuse and manipulation and trying to do the right thing. And it's so hard in the world to do the right thing when we have to face some allegations and make some allegations often that's like dropping a bomb into the middle of a situation so uh, you're helping a lot of people by acknowledging that 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm certainly not uh, not going to tell anyone that they're supposed to be stable when I, up until recently, could not make it through a day without having a complete breakdown. And uh, it did not make my relationships very easy or stable on top of that. And uh, so it's it's been a, a really difficult past few years, and I feel like I'm coming out of it now, and things feel a lot better. And so part of that is that now I can share my story without it feeling like something that I'm still in the depths of. Beautiful. So can you help our listeners understand how art helps us when we're stressed? Because I think it's one of the things that I think people who are into art really understand that on an intuitive level, on a feeling level. But people who don't have a connection to art really struggle to understand how doodling with a pen could help us so much. I do little doodle drawings. That's why I'm on your Patreon at the $7 level. I have your your art in front of me. I have how to cook an egg, all those drawings in front of me. I have the cappuccino uh, and I have the drawing of hands in front of me right now just to be surrounded by your art as I'm talking to you. Well, I think that some people approach art in more of an expressive therapeutic way, like getting your emotions out. And um, you've seen my art. It's very detailed careful pen and ink stuff. Mm-hmm. So that, that's not really what I get out of it in terms of just dumping my emotions on the paper and feeling that release. For me, it's more of that that focus and sort of meditation that people get from doing coloring books or stuff like that. And just, just really being absorbed in something outside my body and then creating something is also the next level of therapy for me. It just feeling like, okay, I do have value in this world because I have contributed something to it. Even if, you know, it's not being sold or hung up on somebody's wall, the fact that there was nothing there and then I created something, that's something I can really point to and say, okay, I'm valuable. I, I'm here, I exist, and I'm, I'm making my mark on the world. And so I've always turned to art just to feel like I have a purpose. Yes, no doubt. When we study the elderly, we we learn that we need purpose as human beings. When we have purpose, we are fortified against depression and anxiety and our self-worth stays sort of solid and grounded. So absolutely, the way that art helps us create and give us gives us purpose is such a healing force. Yeah, and I recently have been have been feeling like I like that purpose is um, like it's solid, like it's continuous. And as I've been getting more work and I've been working on these bigger projects, I've just felt that every day. Like I wake up, okay, I have something to do. I have something to focus on. And when I don't have something to do, I just I kind of. I I feel like I'm just floating and I need to get used to that feeling that that's something that over time I want to get more comfortable with just sitting and relaxing, not doing anything and still feeling worthy. But uh, until then I I do have one solution to it, which is just making things. And for me, that's actually before I was a visual artist, I was a musician for years and was really pursuing that. And um, and I recorded a few albums and I actually went to Europe initially with the intention of playing music on the streets as I'd been doing in New York City. And uh, and then eventually I just gravitated towards visual arts. But 
I've always felt like I need to just be making something just to keep myself busy. And, uh, and thankfully now I have other people that are encouraging me to keep making stuff. So if my own motivation ever falters, then I have that to fall back on. Oh, yeah. You can always call me. I hope you never, ever stop. <laughs> I love your work. I love your work. I, I hope I don't either. I don't know what else I'd do besides art, really. I, I, I've tried a few other jobs, a few careers even, and I'm, I just don't, I don't know what I would do <laughs> if, if I couldn't use my hands anymore. I, I guess, I guess I would just write about my feelings or something, but I'm not cut out for a real job. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you, and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. I think many of us aren't. I think the the amount that we have to give as Americans in particular to working is so out of control. The expectations are, I mean, it's no wonder that half or more of the country is just depressed because we don't teach or celebrate joy and living and work-life balance and that our work should support our life. Our life shouldn't have to support our work. Yeah, it makes me so sad when I read those statistics about uh, the way people feel about their jobs and that the vast majority of people are unhappy with their jobs. And that's where we spend the majority of our time. Mm -hmm. And so that means that we're dissatisfied with our lives. And so I I try to really be conscious of and and, um, grateful for my own career, the fact that it really is my life and that it excites me and it's something I care about and I feel like I'm contributing something to the world. And um, and when I whenever I've worked a job that doesn't feel meaningful to me, it's like other people can just can you know use their grit to get through that and to push through it. And I feel like I'm I'm not strong enough in that capacity. I just break down. And it's it's a privilege that I was able to say, okay, I'm too weak to do something I don't like. So I'm going to take the time off and uh, rely on my savings and just coast for a while while I figure out what I'm going to do. A lot of people could never even take a week off from work because everything is it's dependent on them to support people that are outside of them. And I fortunately didn't have that. And so it was really a luxury for me to be able to pursue that. But now that I have it, it's like I can't I can't ever imagine going back. Oh, yeah, that resonates with me. I mean, I in my own thought process, I process it as it has been divine intervention in my life that I felt so uncomfortable in the typical workforce, because had I felt comfortable there, you wouldn't hear me on this microphone. I wouldn't have a podcast. I wouldn't be working with people all over the world. I would have never broken out of that working for somebody and kind of feeling like my life force is being sucked out place. So that uncomfortableness for me now 
now that I'm here, I can look back and go, thank goodness the universe held me that way and helped me feel that kind of discomfort. It has forced me into the changes that have sculpted my life in a way that actually truly and soundly works for me. I like that way of looking at it, that that it's a positive thing, because at the time, of course, it doesn't feel like that. Like the last job I had before pursuing art was working at a grocery store. And I remember, I think on my second day of being there, it was a five hour shift. And I got home from my five hour shift and I was I just came and laid down on my bed and couldn't get up. And then my boyfriend came over and he was like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm, I can't move. It's so hard. I'm dying. And, you know, it wasn't my first job, but and it wasn't particularly difficult. But just the fact that I hadn't cared about anything I'd done all day, it did feel like it. you said it was sucking the life force out of you. It just felt like I was literally selling my time. Like I was saying, mm-hmm. okay, I will give you five hours for $50. And they were like, okay, great deal. And then I, that part of my life just slipped away. And I found that so hard to contend with psychologically that it just, it just depressed me in a way that, that I didn't, I didn't actually feel uh, in my, in my brain. I didn't feel depressed, but that, that actual event was making me feel depressed. And then when I, quit that it it just it totally pushed me to make a new career for myself because I realized how how ill-equipped I was for what I was doing before yep I hope by hearing us talk about this that more people who are right there in the discomfort and the the depression of wherever they're working can hear that that might be the universe saying to you this is not for you and that's super okay And you can put your energy and focus on what might work for me, what might be my next. And because I think that's one of the secrets to life that we don't get taught when we're younger, that if we can learn how to pay attention to what's uncomfortable, what's icky to us, that that can be a guide to tell us, hey, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be somewhere else. Go find it. And the journey might be scary and you might not know where you're going, but put one foot in front of the other until you get there. You'll know when you get there. Hmm. Yeah, I, I like that, that to pay attention to those negative responses because I think the way that I found my career was through process of elimination and just trying out different things and saying, okay, am I a person who enjoys this? Nope, I hated that. Am I a person who enjoys this? And and I think uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you find your passion and where do you figure out what you're meant to do? And I really came, I, I, came to this conclusion in a completely roundabout way where I just, I tried everything that I thought I might want to do and it kept disappointing me. And so then after, after a few years of working different jobs and different arrangements, you know, everything from having my own office at a graphic design firm to scooping ice cream. And then I just asked myself at the end, okay, so what don't I want? And I realized, okay, I don't want somebody else who doesn't know anything about my field telling me what to do in my field. Mm -hmm. I don't want other people uh, just telling me to work for a certain amount of time and not really caring what I do within that time, but I just have to be there and mindlessly working. And I I wanted, I, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that lack of agency and, um, and being told where to be every day that really bothered me as well. And so then I, I figured out, okay, I need to, 
I need to be able to control my own schedule. I need to be able to control where I go and I need to be able to be creative and flexible. And then I thought, okay, obviously I have to be a freelancer. So what can I do? And then I thought, okay, something I've always kind of liked is drawing, but I wasn't good at drawing at the time. So that's where the New Year's resolution came in. I was like, this is what I have to do because I hate everything else. Then drawing is the one thing I I could see myself doing. So I just have to get good at it. There's no other way around it. And it takes time. It's not easy. It takes a lot of time. But I'm glad that I spent a year or two being bad at drawing instead of the rest of my life working a job I don't care about. Yep. That's really stepping up for yourself. You... Sweet woman, thank you so much for being on the show. You are the definition of an emotional badass. And I believe you are proving one of my theories that highly sensitive people are secret leaders in the world. And when we kind of learn how to get out of our own way and step up for ourselves and face these fears and keep going anyway, we show up as leaders in our own life and we give other people permission to show up as leaders. Oh, I'm going to (laughs) cry. To show up as leaders in their own you are out there as a force of that in the world. That's what changes the world. This, this is why I am um, heartstruck by you <laughs> because cause you're out there having this kind of impact. And I, I just, I, I wanted to be able to articulate that to you. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. And it's, it's so great to have the chance to talk about my feelings and my thoughts about all this stuff because, of course, I have so many <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to plug or can you give your uh, Patreon kind of a rundown to our audience? Because I know that there are artists listening. What I love about Brian the Girl, and let me spell it correctly so you can find her, B-R-Y-A-N, the girl, to go find her and support her Patreon. Um, She is giving tutorials and I have her art, her physical, tangible art in front of me that you can get. Girl, you are not charging enough for your art. Let me say that to you. I know. I know. It's horrible, but I just can't bring myself to ask anymore. (laughs) I I understand that. I think that's the the growth edge that we've push against when we work for ourselves is having to put a price to what we do. And the fact that it's uncomfortable, I think, shows the the integrity in the process. So, yep. No, I've been at that growth edge, too. Uh, let's plug your podcast. The name of your podcast is Hatchling. Yeah. So the, my podcast talks about um, about what it takes to sort of break out on your own And just what I've been talking about here, actually, just being your own boss and having a creative career. And the best feedback I've gotten from people is that even people outside of the art field can get something out of it and get some sort of inspiration and encouragement, as well as some practical tips for actually running your own business. And then um, the other thing I do is I have uh, an ebook. And so I've been doing a lot of writing recently, and this ebook is about those same things, but in more technical detail. So actually how to sell your art, how to price your art, how to promote your art, find clients, how to run a a social media account and build a following, and then when to quit your job, how to quit your job, and uh, all those sorts of fun things that it takes to get through your first year of going for it and trying to make money from your creative work. And then I have an Instagram where I just post nice photos of my drawings and my feelings and some pictures of me occasionally. 
I love it. I love it. What I love about your Patreon too, and this also would work for my own Patreon listeners, is that I am very, very busy. I have a lot of projects too, too many projects just like you. And so the way that I use your Patreon is I love supporting you every month. And then when I take time off, like twice a year, I can sit down, clear my head, really dive into your tutorials and have kind of my own little drawing workshop for myself with you. So that's a way that I use your Patreon. No, that's really nice to hear. You know, it's it's not something that I can get too much feedback on because it's a, it's a smaller group of people. It's not thousands of followers. And so it's it's really nice to hear what you think. Yes, because I think that's important that when, when I'm not commenting on your posts, like I'm going to get to them in good time. And I think with as busy as everyone is in the world, that's an important thing to note that Patreon can work that way for you too, not just for me. Yeah, it's something to, when you have time, if you're not a full-time artist like I am, yeah, it's something to sort of binge on. Yep, because we do. We now have that word. Like binge used to mean so many other things. And then now we use it for how we consume media. So, yep. Well, now it can be a good thing. Yeah, that's right. I, that's I like that. that. That's a great reframe for that word. All right. Thank you so much, Brian the Girl, for being on the show with me today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Check out the show notes to connect with Brian Schiavone from Brian the Girl. Find her on Instagram. Find her lessons and tutorials at patreon.com backslash Brian the Girl, B-R-Y-A-N. Find her podcast, Hatchling, subscribe to it, give her a five-star review. If you haven't given Emotional Badass a five-star review or subscribed, that really helps the show stay high in the ratings so that other highly sensitive people and empaths and survivors can find Emotional Badass where Moxie meets Mindful. Thank you so much for listening to this long interview show. We're going to keep the other episodes shorties to honor your time. Thank you for sharing the show, listening, supporting, and doing the work in your own life to be the change in the world. This is how we change the world one person at a time. I can feel the growth happening. I hope you can too. I am an emotional badass. Brian the girl is an emotional badass. And you are an emotional badass. Together, we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Until next time, bye-bye. Yeah.